Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. Living modestly is hard, even more so when you're popular and successful. How did David maintain his humble perspective after defeating Goliath? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers insights from God's Word, as well as tools to help you stay anchored before, during, and after achieving success. Here's David with the conclusion of his message, The High Cost of Success. We've been talking about what happened to David after he defeated Goliath. It wasn't all a good that happened to him. You remember the women started to sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? And um, Saul had to listen to that. I mean, they didn't have radio back then, but it hit the charts. It was the number one song in Israel. Everywhere he went, people were singing it. And it angered him. In fact, it, it turned him into a hateful man. It ruined him. And he tried to kill David on numerous occasions. We'll learn about that. It's, it's so contemporary. It's the kind of thing that happens today. Maybe you know a story like that. Well, we'll get to it in just a moment. But first, let me remind you that we'd love you to go to Israel with us. We're headed there in March of 2024. We're going to visit Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. We're going to have wonderful places to worship along the way. We're going to stay in great hotels, travel on luxury buses, and see this land, which is the land of God. It's the place where the Bible took place, the place where Jesus walked, and the place where the events of the future are going to be centered as well. I hope you will make every effort to come with us. We always wonder, is this going to be the last time we get to do this? And um, I certainly don't want to hold that out as any option. I pray that it's not. I want us to do this as often as we can uh, into the future. But this is a great opportunity to go to Israel and share this time together with our team from Turning Point. Get all the information from davidjeremiah.org slash events. Okay, part two of the high cost of success. I'd like to go back through the various emotions that Saul went through when David became popular and Saul became his enemy. First, it was suspicion. He eyed him with suspicion from that day forward, says the text. Then it was jealousy. And the Bible says three times that he was afraid of David. He feared him. And then he hated him. And finally, the second to the last verse in the chapter, we're told that David was his enemy for the rest of his life. Overnight, because of David's success, the one man that up to that point in time in the kingdom he was closest to became his number one enemy. And some of you here today could tell me about what happened to you when for some reason or another you were catapulted into the center of the stage and given more success than you ever dreamed. And you looked around and the people you thought loved you for who you were now become your enemies out of jealousy and anger and fear and hatred. The situation is obviously one that would cause jealousy even if the man who was at the center of it was better balanced than Saul. 
Remember, Saul was kind of sick. The kingship was not yet a well-established institution because Saul was the first king for a long time. Remember that. To maintain his position, the king had to be recognized as the strongest man in the kingdom. Saul's authority rested almost entirely on his military achievements. And suddenly this glory had been eclipsed by that of another. Why not only had the support of the powerful tribe of Judah, but also Israel had now come to fall before David in the place where once they had worshipped Saul. I'd like you to note that three times in the 18th chapter we're told of David and how he promoted fear in Saul. I think this is most interesting. I'll just point them out to you quickly. First of all, in the 12th verse of the 18th chapter, we're told, So Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Isn't that an interesting statement? In fact, the word for fear in the 12th chapter is a very special word. It's the word translated by the word apprehensive. It says, Saul was apprehensive of David because God was in David, but God had departed from Saul. You kind of get the picture, don't you? In your mind's eye of every time Saul is in the presence of David, he's kind of eyeing him out of the corner of his eye, kind of apprehensive, kind of watching him. He knows there's something special about that young man and the truth of what's going to take place in the kingdom is beginning to dawn upon him. Notice down in verse 15, we see the same statement again, only this time it's a different word. This time the word is not apprehensive, but it's the word awe. When Saul saw how successful David was, he was in awe of him. Now he's no longer looking at him out of the corner of his eye, but when he sees David now, he's kind of impressed. He, he doesn't know how to explain that this young kid, this skinny little teenager, is moved into the kingdom and everything he touches goes right and every battle he goes to fight he wins and now Saul's looking at him and he's kind of in awe of him. And the final word of his fear is in verse 29 where we're told, this is interesting, Saul became still more afraid of David and he remained his enemy the rest of the days. But notice what verse 28 says, when Saul realized that the Lord was with David he was afraid of him. Hey, did you know that when it is evident that God is present and at work in your life and you're living godly before him, that you will cause that response to come to the hearts of some people, especially if they're not living right. People can tell if God is at work in your life. Did you know that? When Joseph was in the house of Potiphar, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Genesis 39, 3. It was evident that something was different about Joseph. Mark 6.20 has an interesting thought. Herod feared John the Baptist, knowing that he was a just man and a holy. Hey, you show me a man who's godly, who's different than the rest, who lives what he believes and what he speaks, and you see the success of God upon his life, and the people around him will first be apprehensive, then they'll be in awe, and if they're wicked people, they will soon be afraid. David now has a foe. And the rest of the story in these next chapters that we're going to study in the immediate future is the story of David the runner, the exile, how he's running away from Saul who's trying to kill him. And Saul tries to get Jonathan to help him. He tries to get Michael to help him. He tries to get the whole nation to help him because he hates David. David has become his rival. So overnight, David has a new family. He's got newfound fame, and now he's got a new enemy. May I say to you, before we pass on to this last thing that was new in David's life, 
that my friends who have succeeded have told me that that often goes with it, that it is very difficult to maintain the friendships of the people who knew you before you climbed the mountain. Friendships come hard. Enemies come easy. But I want to use that as the transition into this last point because the last thing we notice about David's success is that David's success not only created a new family for him in the kingdom, not only created newfound fame for him in the nation, not only created a new foe for him, but this success also created a new friend for David. I think this is one of the most special things about this story. We read about it in the 18th chapter. Socrates once asked a simple old man for what he was most thankful, and the old man replied that being such as I am, I have had the friends I have had. He said, that's what I'm most thankful for. Anyone who has ever had a good friend knows what the sage was talking about. One true friend is a valuable possession. And sometimes we are prone to measure our friends by their affinity to us when trouble enters our life. I remember reading this week uh, one man who said that adversity serves as the litmus test for our fair-weather friends. In other words, you can tell who your real friends are when you go through difficulty. And I've heard people say that. But you know, I wonder if maybe we overplay that. Perhaps it is just as true to say that you find out what your friends are and who they are when you achieve some level of success and those friends are still who they were before the success came. Some of my friends who have known success have told me that when the success came, it was very difficult for them to determine whether the people were their friends for who they were or for what they could offer them. If ever there was a time that David needed a friend, it was at this moment of his success and the depression that would follow it in the days ahead. Listen to the description of the birth of this friendship as you look at your Bibles and notice chapter 18, verse 1 and verses 3 and 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. I live to imagine the Bible and think about the stories and picture them in my mind. I don't have a hard time doing that. Jonathan had lived, you see, through the anguish of his father's failure to defeat the Philistines. I've often wondered what that must have been like for Jonathan. Here was the giant from the Philistines challenging the people of God, and his dad was their leader, the tallest man in Israel. And Jonathan saw his father filled with fear and unwilling to confront the enemy of God. God had rejected Saul, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and all that was left was the shell of a man without the power of God living in him. But that man who had allowed disobedience to so affect his life had a son who looked up to him. And Jonathan watched in anguish day after day as his father refused to face the enemy and then concocted some incentive plan to get some poor unsuspecting Israelite to go out there and stand before Goliath when he himself was unwilling to do it. And then one day this little boy marched into camp, tried on his father's armor, and when he no longer could handle it, took it off, and with just a slingshot and a couple of stones went out and did the work he had hoped to see his father do. 
And when David came marching back from the valley with the Philistine's head in his hand, Jonathan had two emotions. Relief that the conflict was over, that the father he loved and who we evidently know he loved as we read ahead in the story, that the father he loved was out of the place of pressure and no longer would be the the talk of the young men he knew in the kingdom who questioned his father's courage. And yet at the same time, he was filled with the emotion of excitement because this young boy, this David, had done in the power of God what nobody in Israel had been willing to do. And the Bible says that when Jonathan saw what David did and when he recognized the courage of this young man, that Jonathan loved David as himself. I can't tell you whether Jonathan knew that David was to be king, but he must have suspected it. And some scholars believe that the ceremony of his taking off the robe that was his and putting it on David was Jonathan saying to David, I know that in all reality I should be the king as the son of the king, but I also know God has chosen you and I willingly give up my right to the kingship because God has placed his blessing upon you, David. Jonathan and David became friends. And Jonathan stood with David through the midst of all of the difficulty as he ran from Saul, as he hid in the caves. Jonathan went and begged his father not to kill David. Jonathan was the go-between between his father whom he loved and David whom he loved. And somehow this man, Jonathan, was able to maintain a relationship with two men who were estranged from each other with hot hatred and never lose the love of his father and never lose the love of David. And I have not yet figured out how he did that. But I want to say to you today that if you go through the difficulties and pressures of success and the upward mobility of a world that is filled with pressures, if you've got one friend who will stick with you during times like that, you are a rich person. I pray that you have at least one friend like Jonathan was to David, one who is not afraid to tell you what you may not want to hear, one who will stand by you when all others walk away from you, One who knows the difference between what you might say in a moment of stress and what you really mean in your heart. And oh yes, let you say it anyway. One who will warn you when your defeats are too important to you and when your victories are too important to you. David had a friend like that in Jonathan. How good of God to provide for this young king to be an intimate, close, personal friend. And my friends today, I have read all of the garbage that the homosexual community has printed about the relationship between David and Jonathan, and it is just that. David and Jonathan had a wholesome relationship. And I must say to you that it is a tragedy that in our sick world that it is difficult for two men to have a good relationship as friends without someone misunderstanding that relationship. And we are intimidated by the culture in which we live. And therefore, we have a lot of lonely men who walk around without any close personal friendships, trying to go it alone because they fear a close personal relationship with someone from their own gender. How sad. And how courageous is a man who throws all that to the wind and says, I will not try to make it by myself. I need a friend, someone I can trust in and who trusts in me someone whose relationship I will cultivate in the godly way it should be. Well, David survived it. Somehow he lived to tell about his success. A new family, a new fame, a new foe, and a new friend. 
I'd like to suggest to you that there are a couple of things in this chapter that help us to understand how it is that David made it while so many others do not. And with these two things, I close. How is it that David was able to succeed with success? I mentioned to you before that while adversity is possible for most of us, success does many in. David was able to stay through that what God wanted him to be. And I think in this text there are some indications that there were two basic reasons. Reason number one, David refused to be changed by his success. He refused. He is the same David after Goliath as he was before Goliath. He had a submissive spirit when his father said, keep the sheep. That's where David was. Notice verse 5 in the 18th chapter. We read, whatever Saul told David to do, he did it successfully. Can you imagine how he would have functioned had he been a modern success story? And Saul told him, go out and fight the Philistines, mop up this campaign. David would have said, listen, king, I'm the giant killer. I don't do that dirty work. No way. I kill giants. You got any more Goliaths you want me to fight? Hey, I'll do that. But don't give me in this mop-up detail. You can get anybody to do that. Not me. He just did what he was told. He had a submissive spirit. You know what happens to us sometimes if success comes? We begin to think that we don't submit to anyone. David continued to be the same David he always was. I love what this is all about. Verse 10. The scripture says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house. Now watch this. David was playing on his harp as he usually did. That's what my text says. Now wait a minute, David. You just got the giant. You've been to the top of the mountain. You killed Goliath. You don't have to go and sit in Saul's presence playing your silly guitar anymore. Somebody else can do that. David takes out the giant, and the next day he's back in there strumming the chords. Man, he's an unusual man. He doesn't get changed. You know, and one of the things that's so tragic, and you watched it especially in the athletic world. Somebody gets to the top. They make the starting team. They have a moment of success, and all of a sudden, everything is beneath their dignity, and they change. David would not let success change him. I have to wonder about one thing in David's changeless character. I don't want to second-guess him, and I don't want to act like maybe he didn't do the right thing, but it does bother me to read that he gave Saul two shots at him with his spear. That bothers me. I mean, if the man goes after you once, you might not show up for duty the next day. <laughs> David was so consistent that the Bible says he just about got speared to the wall and the next day he's back there again. I, I have a book that was uh, given to me by my father, a very interesting book on the life of David constructed from the Psalms that David wrote. It's called The Life of David from the Psalms written by Clarence McCartney. And I've just had such a good time reading that because there are all kinds of good things in there that you won't find here bringing the Psalms into play. In one section of the book, right here where we're talking about this episode, McCartney makes the statement about how unaffected David was by his circumstances. And he wrote these words. He said, David's calm indifference to outward circumstances affecting himself is very strikingly expressed in his conduct. He accepts whatever happens with equanimity. He makes no effort to alter it. He originates nothing. 
Prosperity comes unsought and dangers unfeared. He does not ask for Jonathan's love or for the people's favor or for the women's song or for Saul's daughter. If Saul gives him command, he takes it and he does his work. If Saul flings a javelin at him, he simply springs aside and lets it whiz past. If his high position is taken from him, he's quite content with a lower one. If a busy web of intrigue is woven around him, he takes no notice. If reconciliation is proposed, he cheerfully goes back to the palace. If his life is threatened, he goes home. So well has he already begun to learn the worthlessness of life's trifles. So thoroughly does he practice his own words written in the Psalms. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, 1 and 8. Do you see why David was able to make it in this world? He would not let the circumstances of success affect him. Have you been around affected people? Doesn't it bother you to see somebody who was a normal guy who you just love to be with and all of a sudden they achieve something and you get next to them now and you wonder who in the world is this person? Not David. He would not be changed. And when you see him years ahead, he's the same man that he was on the fields in Bethlehem. Godly, quiet, submissive. I just want to say one last thing about David's success and why he was able to succeed and, and not get blown away by all these things that happened so quick in his life. He not only refused to be changed by his success, but number two, he refused to take credit for his success. David wasn't impressed with the victory over Goliath. Go back and read the 17th chapter again that tells the story of Goliath. Do you remember what David said? I am not here in David's name. I'm here in the name of the Lord, whom you have defied. God is going to win this battle. The battle is the Lord's, David said. And when all this success came on David, he didn't get torn up by it because he just reflected it back to God. And when they gave the accolades to David, he just pointed them up to God. The Psalms are so clear about this, that David was not, he didn't believe all of the press written about him. And when he saw all those things, he just would well, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a tool. And in the text, we read in verse 12 that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. In verse 14, we read everything he did. He had great success because the Lord was with him. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David, he was afraid. That was the key. You know, we can go as far as we might go. If we don't care who gets the credit, no, let me say it better than that. We can go as far as God will let us go if we will give God the credit. But when a person begins to believe that it is himself, he has canceled out God's blessing in his life. Haven't you watched that in people who start out humbly? God blesses them. They are elevated and promoted. And all of a sudden, they look around and see all of the things that are happening. Is that not possibly what has happened in all of the corruption that has finally hit the media? You know, I, I hesitate to believe that some of these people who have so embarrassed the Christian church started out with a purpose to embezzle money and be immoral. In the early days when they trusted God for everything, God blessed them and all of a sudden they woke up one day and found the blessing of God upon their lives and they forgot where it came from. And God allowed it to collapse because they would not reflect it back to him. Most of us today cannot 
identify with the kind of success David had. We have not killed any giants lately. But all of us, relatively speaking, are successful. And we can continue to enjoy the blessing of that if we refuse to let it change us and refuse to take credit for it ourselves. Amen. Hey, you know, there's some watchwords along the way. I have a friend who's, uh, he works with me every week in the gym. He's a trainer and wonderful guy named Todd Durkin. And we share this little series of uh, thoughts together. I don't know how we came up with them. I guess I came up with most of them. We just talk about them. How to stay where you want to be with God, how to keep vital. Here they are. Stay holy, stay healthy, stay humble, and stay hungry, hungry for new things, hungry for the things that God wants you to do. David fit that pattern perfectly, didn't he? He um, he had some issues later on. He had some issues in his early life, but he had a heart for God, and God used him in a marvelous way. We are the benefiters of that because we have his book, the Psalms, and we read them and are so blessed by them. Well, tomorrow uh, we begin two days talking about the fugitive. David's on the run. He's got an angry man, a powerful angry man after him. And we'll learn some lessons. See you then. Thanks for listening. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO Sawasan Delta BC V4L2M4 Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca/radio or calling 800-946-4300 Ask for your copy of The Focus Life a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book yours for a gift of any amount You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series The Tender Warrior on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Most people know that a baker's dozen is 13 items instead of 12. The earliest use of baker's dozen is from 13th century England when a law was passed that promised severe punishment upon bakers who cheated their customers. Bakers began packing 13 loaves instead of 12 to make sure customers got their money's worth. 
God is a lot like those early bakers. He always gives above and beyond what we might ask or think. God is always generous, and we should be like Him. When it comes to giving, we should give more time, more money, more love, and even more bread than what others expect. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's generosity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.